conquered the grave. It's a, it's a thing to celebrate. That's one of the things we do every week, isn't it? Celebrating his conquering the grave. I, I share a Bible reading uh, this, that I encountered this week, uh, and the part of it stood out to me, and I thought it would be a good thing for us to think about uh, together this morning. It's from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 33, verses 5 to 7. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times. A rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Uh, I don't know uh, if you can guess which one of those phrases stood out to me, which line stood out to me, but I'll tell you right now. Uh, the Lord will be the sure foundation for your times. Just think about that for a moment. Think about that. The Lord will be the sure foundation for your times. Repeat it to yourself a few times. Silently if you prefer, but aloud if you can. The Lord will be the sure foundation for your times. The Lord will be the sure foundation for your times. Focus your attention on that. Fill your mind with its truth. The Lord will be the sure foundation for your times. Let's pray. Today, and every day, here and everywhere, on Christ the solid rock we stand. Our times shake us and, and try to break us. Our times fluctuate, trying to, to separate us from each other. But Jesus, you still are the, our sure foundation, even in these times. Our times turn us upside down and inside out. Our, our times leave us with unanswered questions and spinning suspicions and piles of concerns. But Jesus, you are our sure foundation for all our times. Lord, thank you for being the solid rock for us us in these topsy-turvy times. Amen. So, do you want to know how to amaze Jesus? I think about that for a moment. How do you do something um, great enough that the creator of the cosmos says, wow, awesome job. Yeah, I want you to know, it's probably not as hard as you're, you think it is, and, and as hard as we would tend to, to think it is. Um, but 
to know for sure how, how to amaze Jesus. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or use uh, an app on your device like uh, Uversion. Uh, and go, let's go to Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I want to find. I want to share with you the secret for amazing Jesus. Um, Luke chapter seven, verses one to ten. I'm going to be reading from the New English Translation. Uh, don't know what translation you're using, but uh, it'll be similar uh, in many ways. Luke chapter seven begins with this. After Jesus had finished teaching all this to the people. So he'd been teaching in the previous section. Uh, now he has finished teaching. He entered Capernaum. Uh, if you've read, heard the Christmas story uh, more than once, uh, you know Jesus was born in a little town called Bethlehem. Uh, then his parents uh, escaped to Egypt uh, and later returned to their hometown where Joseph and Mary had grown up. They returned to Nazareth, and that's where this little town of Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. Uh, when he launched his public ministry, though, he moved to the city of Capernaum. So what Luke is telling us here at the beginning of uh, chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, is that Jesus, when Jesus finished his, uh, these teachings with the people, he went home. He went back to the town where he lived, the city where he lived. Uh, meanwhile, in this city, uh, a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier stationed in Capernaum encountered some trouble, some life and death issue kind of trouble. It tells us that Luke says uh, a centurion there had a slave who was highly regarded, but who was sick and at the point of death. Now, Centurions were non-commissioned officers in the Roman army, the army for the Roman Empire. They were often not necessarily ethnically Roman. They were people from other territories and other parts of the Roman Empire. Uh, if they remained in the army long enough, they might gain their citizenship, uh, be granted citizenship. But... Uh, Otherwise, they were just uh, kind of middle management. Uh, and they were the occupying force. They were occupying this country and uh, in, enforcing uh, what historians call the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, uh, which basically means uh, if you cross us, we'll kill you. So mind your own business. Um, they're an enemy who's come in and forced their will on uh, this nation. Now, it, it tells us that this man, uh, this soldier, had a slave. A lot of translation, English translations, use the word servant here. Uh, however, the word that Luke used when he wrote this account, when he wrote it, he wrote it in uh, an ancient form of Greek. It was, wasn't ancient then, but... Uh, it's old to us. He wrote it in Greek, and it doesn't carry the suggestion of servant like we have. A servant is somebody that is hired, right? Uh, somebody who's free. Uh, 
to, to work, to come and to go. Uh, the word that Luke used doesn't carry the suggestion of a free individual who's serving another person for employment. Uh, he, he's talking about a slave, someone who's owned by another person. And this slave, even though he was highly regarded and important to the centurion, uh, he was still a slave, he was sick, and he was dying. But because he was important, Lou goes on to say that the servant, uh, that the centurion, that the centurion, I'm sorry, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him asking him to come and heal his slave. And he heard about Jesus' reputation for healing people. Uh, that was a big part of Jesus' ministry. Uh, the soldier sent leaders from the Jewish community to represent him, to talk to Jesus, and he had a simple request, come and heal my slave. So when these Jewish elders, these leaders, came to Jesus, they urged him earnestly, saying, he's worthy, the centurion, he is worthy to have you do this for him because he loves our nation and even built our synagogue. Uh, it is, I'm becoming more and more amazed at how often we talk about how people deserve things or are worthy of things, um, both good and bad. See, these Jewish elders, the amazing thing is they had every reason to hate this man. He was part of the occupying army. He had enslaved their nation. Uh, Jewish elders who had every reason to hate the centurion, but instead they recognized his love and his generosity for them. He, even though he was part of the occupying force, he loved the Jewish people, and he built a synagogue for them, a place of worship and meeting for them. So Jesus went with them. Uh, when he was not from the house, the centurion sent friends. This time he sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. So he's decided to simplify and to shorten things. Uh, and his request switches to don't come. I don't deserve your company. In fact, he went on to say, that is why I did not presume to come to you. Instead, I didn't say, I didn't presume to come to you. This man apparently was sensitive to another culture, another religion's standards. The Jewish people were part of their ritual, part of their regulations at that point, were that they were to not enter the house of a Gentile. And uh, at first he had sent and said, please come to my house and heal my servant. And now all of a sudden he's going, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, he's not going to want to do that. So he says, I, I didn't presume to ask you to come. And so don't come. Instead, he says, listen to this. Instead, say the word and my servant will be healed. He switches his request. He started with, come and heal, come and heal my slave. And now he switched it to, don't come, instead, say the word. 
and my servant must be healed. Listen to that. Say the word and my servant must be healed. Don't come. Just speak a word and he'll be healed. Think about that for a moment. Where did a Roman soldier develop that kind of confidence and faith in Jesus? He's the last person you would, I mean, he loved the Jewish people, but to believe in Jesus and to the point where he's like, just say it and it'll be, that's the way it has to be. He explains himself. It, it, the centurion goes on and says, I too, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. So let me pause for a moment and point out to you, a lot of people talk about authority. We have authority as Christians. We have authority for this, and we have authority for that, and 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 so on. Uh, there's a principle here. You have to be under authority to be in authority. The exercise of authority is the result of submission yielding to a higher authority. See, the centurion's authority with his soldiers came from his submission and his yielding to the orders of the officers over him and ultimately to the officers uh, or to the orders uh, that Caesar would give as the emperor of Rome. If his orders, if his orders ever contradicted the orders given by the officers or by Caesar, uh, then he would be a rebel and he would lose all authority because the authority he had came, came from being in submission to the officers over him. And he recognized in Jesus, I too, like you, am a man under authority. Jesus' authority flowed from his submission to his heavenly father. Jesus said, uh, I do nothing except by the Spirit's power, except by my father's power, but except what I see my father doing. I don't say or do anything that I don't see him saying or doing. I depend on him completely. I'm under his authority. Jesus' authority flowed from his submission to his heavenly father. So here, listen to what happens. Listen to Jesus' response. Uh, how does Jesus respond to a man who says, word, and it must be that way. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He turned and said to the crowd that followed him, I tell you, not even in Israel, not even in my people, have I found such faith. Jesus was amazed at him, at the centurion. There it is. The secret to making Jesus say, wow, is simply to trust him. Then Jesus holds this centurion, this Roman soldier, dare I say this pagan? Uh, uh, he holds him up as an example of the kind of faith he wanted to find in Israel, in God's people, but he hadn't. Even his disciples didn't show that kind of faith. So there are three things that we can, uh, we can pick up from this story so far. Uh, first is that Jesus is looking for a quality of faith that is both humble and bold. 
don't come. I'm not worthy to have you come into my house, but bold enough to say, just say the word, and it must be that way. Jesus is looking for a quality of faith that is both humble and bold. Secondly, he doesn't care where he finds it. It can be in God's family. It can be outside God's family. He's looking for that kind of faith. And third, he's a category crusher. Jesus is a category crusher. He has little tolerance for our uh, ways of prejudging people, setting them into people into groups. There's this group and there's that group of people that agree with me and the people that don't agree me, with me. And it's still true today. Jesus is still looking for faith that is both humble, excuse me, humble and bold. He is doesn't care where he finds it, and he crushes categories. Uh, sometimes the most amazing faith comes from the most surprising people. J.D. Walt writes in, in one of his devotionals. Uh, sometimes the most disturbing lack of faith comes from those we expect to have it. Whoa. He goes on to say, be on the lookout for amazing faith and don't count anyone out, especially the ones you might consider least likely to know Jesus. What a phrase. The ones you might consider least likely to even know Jesus. I want to tell you something. I have come to believe. Uh, I almost said no, but I, yeah, okay. It, it's it's beyond. Uh, I sure hope this is true. Kind of state uh, belief, and it is. Uh, it's an. Uh, it's something I'm absolutely certain of. And that is, there is not a single person that I will ever meet who is in that category of least likely to know Jesus. I don't know where they are on their faith journey, but I do know this. There's not a single person I will ever meet that Jesus didn't die for. And there's not a single person that I will ever meet that the Holy Spirit is not drawing to Jesus and inviting to be part of God's family. Everyone. No one's left out. Oh, by the way, here's the rest of the story from Luke. So when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave well. They found the slave well. Quick recap of the story. Centurion slave is sick. He sends for Jesus. Changes his mind, says, don't come, just say, say the word, and it must be true. My servant will be healed because you're a man under authority. I understand that. And they found the servant well immediately at that point. So this is what I want you to take home. This is what I want you to, to, to engrave in your hearts and your minds and put into practice. I want you to know this simple truth. This is a sermon in a sentence. If you want to amaze Jesus, you simply need to trust him. 
if you want to amaze Jesus, you just need to trust him. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about big faith. That's what we're going to call trusting Jesus, big faith. Let me define it. Big faith believes in Jesus' existence. Uh, big faith trusts in Jesus' nature, his holy love, his gentle power, and uh, his wise plan. Uh, big faith displays loyalty to King Jesus and follows him as our ultimate teacher and does what he asks us to do and lives out the principles he asks us to live out by. Big faith unlocks the life we were created to enjoy. Big faith believes Jesus is who he claims he is and that he will do everything he promises to do. So just for a moment, think about trusting Jesus. How different would your outlook on life be if you were absolutely convinced that Jesus was for you? How differently do you think you would respond to circumstances in your life if you were sure that Jesus was working in all of it and was planning to use anything and everything and influence it for your benefit? He's going to take everything, the worst that there is, and use it for your benefit. Now, for somebody who just asked, well, how in the world could that possibly be? I would just take you back to Good Friday, what we call Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross in Easter Sunday morning, what we celebrate every single Sunday morning when we gather to worship. He took the worst that could ever possibly happen to somebody. He was killed. He died, but then he turned it into rising from the dead. He's going to take that kind of turnaround power and put it to work in your life. If you were absolutely convinced that no matter what was going on in your life, how would it, that he could turn it around, how would it change your response? In other words, what would it be like for you to have big faith? If you want to amaze Jesus, all you need to do is to trust him with what we're going to call big faith. Believe Jesus is who he claims to be and that he will do everything he promises. Before you get hung up on those two words, big faith, let me remind you that Jesus defined big faith as faith the size of a mustard seed. Mustard seeds are really small. Can you see that? There we go. Maybe like that. Tiny little balls. That's big faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. One of the verses that I think helps us understand God's message for, for us from the beginning of, of Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, one of the verses that helps tie these things, the concept together is this one from Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. That, I always smile when I read that at all. Of course, that helps a lot. Um, but you have to believe that he exists and 
that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So why is big faith a big deal? Why is trusting Jesus a big deal? Well, speaking of Genesis to Revelation, let's go back to Genesis. Let's go back to the beginning. Because trust was devastated in the garden. Uh, trust was devastated in the beginning. There were three words, three words that ruined it all for us. The first is dishonesty. There was a dishonest creature. We often call it a serpent, a snake. That's what it's betrayed as, portrayed as in, in the Genesis chapter 3. The snake, a creature, lied about God, about the statements that God had made, and the results of rebelling against God was dishonesty. There was distrust. Because our first parents believed the lies. Our first parents believed the creatures, the snakes, dishonesty. And so they no longer trusted the Lord. They, they believed that the Lord was a liar. Why would you trust a liar? And we've been following their example ever since. As a human race, we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust him. So there was dishonesty, there was distrust, and the result was disobedience. Since they did not trust what the Lord said, they did what he told them not to do. And we've been paying the consequences ever since because, again, we follow their example. But big faith, big faith works to restore us in this broken world. Big faith works to, to reverse that process. And there are three words, again, three words that take us back to the relationship we were created to enjoy. The first word is truth. God reveals the truth about himself in nature, the Bible, uh, the church, not always doing a good job at that, but people who follow Jesus help reveal who he is. And ultimately, the ultimate truth about who God is, is revealed to us in Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it's like to live a life filled with trust in God, look at Jesus. truth. We cannot believe that God is or that Jesus is who he claims to be and that he will do everything he promises to do unless we know what his claims are and what his promises are. That's first. First word is truth. The second word is trust. And that's our essential response to who Jesus is. When we re recognize who he is, the truth about who he is, we can trust him. And it often takes uh, a, it's a journey for us to learn to trust Jesus. Uh, we often make that tra transition from distrust to trust. We begin that transition by learning to trust somebody who trusts Jesus. For me, it was my parents. 
my parents trusted Jesus and I learned to trust them and by learning to trust them and to listen to them talk about their experience with Jesus, I learned to trust Jesus. There was somebody in your life, if you currently trust Jesus, if you're currently following him, there was some person or persons that you learned to trust who trusted Jesus and helped you to come to the place where you trust him too. So it's truth about Jesus and there's trusting Jesus. And that leads to the third word, transformation. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The spirit of Jesus who lives in us when we trust him, when we believe in him and we follow him, the spirit works in us to transform us. Sometimes that seems strange to us, but just think for a moment. Every relationship we ever enter changes us to some degree. The deeper and the longer uh, the relationship goes, the deeper and longer lasting the changes are for us. It's true in relationships. It's true in our relationship with Jesus as well. The deeper our relationship with him becomes, and the longer we have a relationship with him, the deeper the changes he makes in us and the deeper the transformations that are. And the more we follow him, the longer lasting those things are. So to amaze Jesus, you need big faith. You need to trust him. And you need to trust him in a way that you believe that he is who he claims to be and that he will do what he promises to do. You need to come to the place where you have the kind of faith that says, no, you don't need to come over here to deal with this problem. Just say the word and it must be dealt with. Sermons and Bible studies and, and Christian books, uh, they come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, but if you listen closely to all of them, uh, you're going to hear the Holy Spirit saying the same thing over and over. In fact, he'll be saying the same thing in most of these things, in sermons and Bible studies. He'll be saying simply, trust me. In all the ways that you could ever respond to God, the most important thing that Jesus is asking you to do is simply to trust him. Like I said, it's not easy and it is a journey this is a journey that I think lasts a lifetime because all, we meet things, have experiences and enter circumstances and situations that, that revive uh, our old distrust. And it's in those moments and, and the, that the lies, the dishonesty starts to come back and, and we are to disobey and turn away. So that's when we need to learn more truth or relearn it. And then we need to uh, trust him more. So how are we going to do that? I want to invite you to join me in reading about Jesus' death and resurrection as it's recorded in the book of Luke. Uh, we can use a version reading plan. Uh, you can find the link to that in the description for this worship uh, event online, or uh, you can also find it in the version event notes that uh, are also linked in the description. Uh, 
for this worship event, this online worship. <laughs> if you don't want to use uh, that version plan, you can use your Bibles if you prefer. That's fine. Uh, hard, you know, the hard copy is still good. It is still good. We're, we're going to take 12 days to read Luke chapters 20 through 24. It takes us through uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and each time you take some, take a few moments to read from those, ver those chapters, I want you to write out a list of reasons to trust Jesus. As you look at what Jesus did, what Jesus went through and how he overcame it, I want you to write down a list of the reasons to, to trust him. What, what does it tell you about Jesus that he died and rose again? So that's my invitation this morning. Will you join me in discovering or rediscovering and reinforcing reasons to have big faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Well, let me pray for you this morning. King Jesus, we believe in you. Some of us struggle with questions and doubts. And you are okay with that. But deep down inside, all of us feel an urge to trust you. We yearn to move beyond learning about you to really trusting you. Holy Spirit, build our faith until it's full and unreserved. Until we can say, just say the word, and it must be so. Encourage our trust in Jesus to penetrate our thoughts, to reshape our ways of considering everything. Transform our perspectives because we trust Jesus above all things. Jesus, King Jesus, make our faith joyful and peaceful. Teach us to walk with you and with others in ways that uh, are saturated with your love, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, when our lives are filled with darkness, and we experience and realize our helplessness. Give us the sense of your presence, your love, and your strength. Help us to have perfect trust in you. Give us to have big faith in your protecting love, strengthening power, so that nothing frightens or worries us. Amen. Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Bay County, throughout Saginaw and Midland counties and to the ends of the earth. So, 
receive the Holy Spirit and go. You are sent to love people in both word and deed as Jesus would love them. Hey, again, I want to thank you uh, for uh, watching and being a part of this this time together. I know there are so many other things that uh, uh, call for your attention. But again, thank you for being a, a part of this, part of watching. And uh, please, share Jesus' love in the things you say and do.